Welcome in. This is the bonus episode uh, on Chit Chat Money. So a little extra something for everyone today. We don't have Ryan here. Uh, He was out of the office as we recorded this, but it's just going to be me. But that doesn't matter because the entire show is going to be with the seven investing team. They each go through one stock that they're looking at. And as we're recording this, they are going through their year in review. and they just released, I believe, covering 150 different companies, a full year in review, updating all the recommendations, updating all the research that they've done. So if you want to check that out, use our code MONEY, get a seven-day free trial, and then $100 off your annual subscription. It is a perfect time to check out the free trial because you can get look at that year in review, which will be coming out right as we release this podcast. We'll probably put a link of that in the show notes. And if you like what you read, if you like the research that they're doing, and if you like what all the uh, advisors covered on this episode, again, use our code MONEY, get $100 off your annual subscription. So what do we cover today? We hit six different companies, uh, really going over the gambit here. First one was Affirm. Second one was New Scale Power, which is a nuclear energy startup. Third was Transmedics, which is trying to disrupt the organ transplant market. We have Tesla and Amazon, which I think are self-explanatory. Everyone knows that company. And then a fascinating company within the gene sequencing space, Illumina. So again, really hit the gambit. We try to hit everything in about under an hour. So we're not doing full deep dives on all these companies. Obviously, that would take too long, but a little bit of an introductory thing that'll hopefully get you a taste of what you can get over at 7investing. All right, let's get to the discussion. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. All right. Welcome in, everyone. Today, we have a bonus episode. We have the entire 7investing team with you uh, on Chit Chat Money today. It's going to be a bit of a hectic show. We're going to hit all the advisors, uh, and I'll let them introduce each other when they have their turn. We're going to hit one company that each person is looking at um, intensely, or maybe not. You know, This isn't a recommendation on this show, but this is a company that they follow, they're looking at for the new year. Uh, but before we get started, Simon, the founder and leader of Seven Investing, why don't you tell everyone what you guys have been preparing uh, for the year in review that comes out on December 19th, which will be right around when this podcast releases. Oh, yeah. Thanks very much, Brett. Thanks. By the way, thanks for having us, too. We are huge fans of your podcast, and uh, we wanted to kind of all make a showing here. Uh, all of us except for Steve Symington is on this show, and Steve's going to come on a a future podcast, but we're real big fans of yours. We think you do great work, great analysis on stocks. Um, thanks again for like giving us a chance to all be here together. And uh, the year in review, you mentioned, you know, Seven Investing makes seven recommendations every month. Uh, we started in March of 2020, right? So we're two and a half years into this journey now. That's going to be a pretty big scorecard. It's kind of hard to follow all of the recommendations from two and a half years. And so we said, what if we had a one-stop shop you could bookmark a page and just always keep coming back to it to get our most up-to-date thinking on all of the active recs. 
And so uh, everybody on this team is probably in agreement with me that it's been a, a hustle for the last several weeks of pulling everything together, getting up to speed on all of our recommendations. Uh, not only do we give our most updated thinkings, we also give our most updated conviction ratings, everything from strong buy to potential sell on every one of those previous recommendations. A lot happens in two and a half years. We want to make sure that everything is current and up to date as much as we can possibly be. All right. That's a great overview. And remember, if you want to try them out, use code money, get $100 off your annual subscription and check out that free trial. Uh, Simon, I don't know how long that free trial is going to run or the $1 free trial, but a free trial if you use our code money along with the $100 off your annual subscription. But that is definitely going through the end of the year, I'm assuming. So try that out. You can check out the year in review and I bet you're going to want to stick around. All right. Let's hit the first company here on our list, uh, Affirm. We'll start with you, Simon. Um, give us an overview of Affirm and why you're interested in this company. Oh, yeah. Kind of a cool story, right? This one goes back 20 years in time. Uh, there was a small little company called PayPal that, that probably a lot of people are familiar with. But back in those days, you know, in kind of the dot-com craze, uh, everybody was moving from using paper checks and credit cards and debit cards to actually paying for things over the internet, right? It could be with your email address. You could actually start doing online commerce. And of course, uh, it's blown up quite a bit in the two decades since then. But the reason I bring this up is uh, the chief technology officer of PayPal was a gentleman named Max Levchin. And uh, back then, he did such a fantastic job at separating out who were the bots and who were the spammers that were all joining PayPal at the time? How can you filter all those out and actually keep really the, the true people that want to buy things online and get them in through promotions? Uh, it's interesting because Lebchin now is the founder and CEO of a firm who's on a slightly different mission now, uh, still wanting to break kind of the world from credit cards and this compound interest that can get people into a lot of trouble and make uh, simple interest payments through installments. Uh, the industry has started calling this buy now, pay later. And uh, we got some interesting statistics. I got a, a trivia for you here, Brett, of uh, from Black Friday in 2022, of all the things that were purchased in America online for retail, uh, what percent do you think we're using buy now, pay later? Not a firm specifically, but buy now, pay later as a whole uh, to actually pay for them. What percentage out of 100%? Mm, that's a great question. I'm going to guess, since you're throwing this, you said it's going to, it can't, it can't be too low because, or else you wouldn't be asking it. I'm going to say 5%. Is that's that too high guess. or too low? Yep. Yeah, it's a little low. It's actually 10.2% this year. Wow. Uh, but it was at about 5% last year and the, uh, less than 5% the year before that. And that's a total share. We know that e-commerce, the whole, the absolute number is going up too. And it just kind of shows that there's something to this that, you know, people are, are embracing buy now, pay later. I used it to buy a vacuum cleaner this year, but, you know, the consolidated numbers uh, are moving in the right direction. A firm is not only growing its own gross merchandise volume at 62%, much faster than the competitors that it's up against, but it's also because of Levchin and everything that he's he's done about, you know, finding outliers and managing risk. He's done a great job of figuring out how do you only have credit worthy people um, borrowing money in the first place and making these, you know, these these loans to them. And then on the other hand, you know, what what is in it for a retailer? You know, if you are selling something uh, through a firm through buy now, pay later because of the app and because all of the machine learning that they've done, the right product can appear for the right person based on transactional history. They'll know who is more likely to buy what. 
And of course, that's hugely beneficial for the retailers as well. So kind of a neat, neat company here, Brett. You know, the, the, the thing that I like the most was the founder story and uh, the mission that they're on. And the metrics are really supporting that this is more than just a flash in the pan. This could be a generational change on how people are borrowing money and, and actually paying for things. All right. Uh, I'll have two follow-ups here. And just a reference for the audience, we're not going to cover... Since we're covering six companies today, we're not going to cover everything in extreme detail, but all the companies talked about here are ones that the advisors cover over at Seven Investing. So again, if you want more research, check them out there. But one follow-up here is, you know, if I look at the stock price of a firm and some of the other, you know, buy now, pay later providers, I think many investors are looking at buy now, pay later and thinking it's kind of all bark and no bite. Um, it seems like you disagree with this. Why is there you know, why do you think the market is so wrong um, with selling off, say, these buy now, pay later companies so much in 2022? I think there, there are actually some good valid reasons why it has sold off, right? Like anybody who's looked at the macro economy in 2022 knows that interest rates are going up. The consumer is kind of pressed. You know, it's kind of a hard time inflation. You know, there's a lot of reasons that people aren't buying as much as they did last year. Uh, and that rates going up too, of course, that certainly has an impact on borrowing costs, you know, that a firm uses with its with its kind of lenders. Um, but I, I think that longer term, uh, when you look at kind of the macro data of is buy now, pay later gaining share? Yes, it is. Are they getting more and more transactions? Yes, they are. And are they signing on the right key partners where you can actually have a firm right in that checkout screen when you're about to hit the buy button? They're already in there with Amazon. They're already in there with Shopify. They're already in there with Walmart. They're in there with the biggest retailers that have an online presence. It's kind of hard for those retailers to offer four or five buy now, pay laters at the end. You want to work with one. And I think that that's going to be really good for them to get kind of the lion's share. All right. Yeah. And last question. So when, you, when you've written about a firm, you said it was a high risk investment. And I think that makes sense. What do you think needs to happen for the stock to do well over the next decade? What do you think, you know, maybe there's a lot of things to look at, but what are a few things investors should be watching? The secret sauce is going to be the delinquency rate of their loans, right? A firm has to make good loans to credit worthy borrowers. So if you're actually signing up and you're going to buy a vacuum cleaner, you have to pay it back, you know, other, otherwise a firm bites the bullet and takes the loss for it. They have got uh, pre-COVID levels of delinquency rates. It's very good. They have less than 1% of gross merchandise volumes is actually getting written off right now. Anybody can go out and do something like this where they're going to take on a lot of risk and make a lot of loans for people to buy things. It's much harder to actually control the bad loans that you're writing. I think that's something Max Levchin has is, is really done well and, and for, right from the beginning of the company start. All right, let's move on to our second company, Luke. We're talking new scale power. Uh, this is a different company than a firm and maybe unique business because it's not going to have revenue for a few years. But that, that's going to be my follow-up question. Uh, many people haven't heard of this company. So what does New Scale Power do? And I, let me add a follow-up because I know you're going to talk about this. What potential do small modular nuclear reactors have? Cool, Brett. Let me, let me just sort of plow through all of that. And I'm going to preface this by saying this is a wildly irresponsible recommendation from me. And this is like off the charts risk. And we'll come to why towards the end. But let, let me just break this in two parts. Like, why is this a really important sector, um, nuclear power? And then why, or what's New Scale's advantage over everybody else playing in this market? And then we'll talk about the numbers. So the world's in the middle of a global energy crisis triggered by bad things happening in Russia. Um, 
the world's total energy needs are going to double by 2050, we're using more power. And most countries have signed up to net zero carbon dioxide emissions targets by 2050. So more power, we need clean power. So there's really only kind of two or three ways to, for countries to solve that problem. Like renewables are the answer, uh, no question. But if you want to have like reliable, always on power, you need to massively overbuild renewables and you need to pair them with storage, which is basically like hydroelectric. You can only build it in certain geographies or massive grid scale batteries and all, you know, the chemicals in those batteries are contending with like scaling up electric cars. It's going to be difficult to create that, that level of storage. Um, so nuclear actually, you know, it's a kind of the scary word, but it's a green technology. Um, and, uh, you know, it's efficient, it's good for the environment and it provides this reliable always on that's going to make renewables successful. Um, today, the US has got 92 kind of traditional nuclear reactors, and that generates about 20% of the country's electricity. I'm going to get into new scale now. Let's give it a context. US are building two new reactors right now. Both of these projects are billions of dollars over budget, and they're both years behind schedule. So typically, these things are like seven to 10 years to build a nuclear reactor. So you know, that's a long time. So in comes new scale. And actually, um, they're, they're, they're one of many companies building what are called small modular reactors, SMRs. A new scale got in pretty sneakily, and they got the ticker SMR as well. Um, so why is a small modular reactor potentially a game changer for this base load of electricity? Well, once once the design is proven, it's not seven to 10 years, it's three years to construct one of these things. Um, much simpler design for a, a small modular reactor of like eliminates two thirds of the safety systems that you need in a big scale reactor. So it's cheaper. You actually you build it, it's modular, you build it in a factory, you ship it by road, and you construct it on site. So much, much more straightforward, faster construct, um, more flexible deployment, quite an interesting uh, factor in the US in particular, got a ton of existing coal power plants, like 90 something, that all scheduled for decommissioning over the next, for the rest of this decade, where you can unplug a coal plant, plug in an SMR plant very easily, and you've got all of the grid connections, you've got the mining community and the skill sets very similar from um, other than, you know, being in the pit digging things to operate a coal plant to operate an SMR plant. So that might remove some of the kind of fear about uh, you know, having a nuclear reactor in your back garden, basically. Um, so why? I, so this is SMRs and why I think they potentially have a place in the energy equation. Why new scale in particular? So they're the only company in the world today to have approval from the US Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the NRC. And it took them many years to get the approval for their SMR design. Nobody else is close. You know, the nearest competitor is several years behind them. Um, super high risk though. So as you said, pre-revenue, pre-product essentially, you know, they've got an approved design, um, but they're still refining. Um, so let's turn to, let's turn to the valuation a little bit. I know you wanted to go there. Um, how do you value a company like this? It's impossible, right? Um, but let's look at some of the numbers and some of the factors that will go into, uh, how you would think about the value. So. Market cap of the company today is just under $500 million, half a billion dollars, $320 million in cash and no debt. So kind of enterprise value actually less than $200 million. Um, 
they're making a net loss because they're not making any revenue, they're spending money, net loss of about $50 million in the latest quarter, gives them a runway to about 2025. So if you invest today, you're expecting dilution along the journey. Um, but there's also a ton of dilution built in. I'm giving you a real sort of bare argument here for this one. I said it's irresponsible recommendation. Um, 52 million shares of common stock issued, but actually they came to market via a SPAC. I know we all kind of hate that word. Um, so there's kind of 5x dilution already built into the model. So you buy stock today, you know, you're going to get kind of 20 percented uh, before they get to market, plus the additional dilution. So that sounds horrible, right? But I think this is irresponsible on its own. But I think if you have um, a portfolio of super high risk bets like this, and if they're companies like NewScale, now, if you can imagine that they're, they're kind of nobody, they're half a billion dollar company, they potentially are several years ahead of their competition in the small chance that the world determines it does need this type of reactor to scale out, manage this kind of energy challenge we've all got, then new scale really are, they're leading the pack, they're the answer. And they could scale up very quickly once they kind of prove their design. And they've got a number of uh, deals in the pipeline, one with Utah, um, some with Canada, several in Eastern Europe, uh, across uh, the rest of Europe. So I think this company, once it, if it can reach commercial scale, which is you know actually relatively improbable, I think the return justifies the risk. But if you're running a portfolio, you want lots of bets like this. Forgive the term bet. I am a poker player. You want lots of bets like this to kind of make that risk reward add up. Right. That that totally makes sense. You hit my follow up as well. Uh, I'm going to open it up. Any of the other advisors have any follow ups for Luke uh, before we move on to Christoph's? Uh, anyone? If you have any, raise your hand. If not, Simon, I see you may have something to add for Luke. Luke, regulatory tailwinds too, right? They've got uh, some ins with some government agencies, don't they? So, sorry, run it by me again, Simon. They've... I was just saying, uh, they've got some ins with government agencies, right? Support of government for uh, developing these. Uh, yes, they do, absolutely. Uh, and they're, they're, they're quite advanced conversations with multiple, comp- with multiple countries, but again, nothing formally signed, lots of memoranda of understanding right now. So if you're a shareholder, and I am, it's going to be a long journey until they uh, they start. And one of the key de-risking milestones actually is to sign their second customer. And if I'm being really transparent with this one, they're actually in some danger of losing their only signed customer in Utah because of inflation. So, you know, all of this just adds onto this mountain of risk. But um, if it goes well, it could go very well. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
All right. If anyone, no one else has any follow-ups, let's move on to our third company, and that is Transmedics. I may have to ask for the follow-ups here from some of the other advisors because this is a company outside of my wheel or circle of competence. Excuse me, but just for Christoph, here's the introductory question. What opportunity is out there for organ transplants and why? Because when I read some of your work on this, I was kind of shocked to see how the uh, how the industry is run. I mean, why is the industry still operating with such ancient technology? Uh, am I referring to the, the ice boxes or the coolers that are used nowadays? Yeah, Brett. So the opportunity is huge. And the reason is because, and this is a good problem to have in some ways, there are more organ donors willing to give their organs uh, second life than there are uh, currently than they're than they're being used. In other words, more of these organs that could save a person's life, they're just being underutilized because the they can't get to the matched to the matched recipients quickly enough or in good enough shape. That created further regulatory pressure to like fix this because people are dying, right? And we have the technologies now. Why some of the uh, other technologies are not as good as transmedics, I think it comes down to all kinds of FDA approval hoops you have to jump through, which are take a long, long time and massive amounts of money to get some a device like the OCS that transmedics creates into market. So it's just such a complicated industry. You can't just, you know, say it, it just takes a long time. Gotcha. All right. Any follow-ups for any of the advisors um, on this one? If so, uh, I'll uh, open it up here. Um, if not, here I have one one other question here. And is there anything proprietary with the Transmedics devices? Um, because when I look at something like this, it's kind of a new category. Um, and I want to make sure, or if I'm an investor, I'd be worried about a competitor easily copying its products. So do you think that's possible or is there some sort of big technological barrier or regulatory barrier that would keep a company away? Brett, I'm going to blow your mind by reframing this question for you. Okay. Uh, the, the answer to your question is they have a whole bunch of patents. But that's complicated, right? Patents end and, and they go away, all this stuff. But most of their patents are in place till 2030. But that's not the issue. The reason this is such an exciting company for me to recommend is because their secret sauce is not the actual device itself. They are now moving away from selling the devices. They are now offering what I termed organs as a service and they are coming to hospitals and saying look we have this device right that we know will save the organs or expand the use of organs and that's going to save insurance uh, that's going to improve the outcomes of surgeries which will save insurance money it's going to save you money as a hospital and it's going to save lives so uh, and make surgeons' lives easier because they don't have to wake up at three in the morning to perform a sur surgery because time is of the essence, right? So Transmedics comes along and says, we're going to operate the machine for you. We're going to have our trained staff work the machine, and we're going to take care of all the logistics. 
including travel, including getting an organ from New York City to say San Diego in time, in the right way, with a new kind of uh, life that they can't get on other devices. That's called the NOP program, the National Organ Care System Program. And Transmedics wants all hospitals to be, all the revenue to be 100% through the NOP program. So nobody, nobody's buying the device, right? That's a network effect. Once you have surgeons uh, used to and trusting this program that says, uh, that delivers the organs in the best shape possible on time, they ain't switching <laughs> to nobody else's better box, right? It's just basic network uh, science. And this is what I think the market is missing. It's it's still kind of thinking of it in terms of like the quality and technology of these units, which are superb. Don't get me wrong, but that's not where the puck is going. All right. That's a pretty compelling pitch. And unless we have any follow-ups, we're going to move away from some companies that I think few people have heard of to probably the most popular company, early stock in the world, and that is Tesla. Um, Anirban, this is your <laughs> pick today. And it's been one of the top performing stocks of the last five years. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think it's a 10-bagger. Um, but going forward, I think the first question I have, and you can introduce maybe some of what the company is doing today, but the first question I have is that they've seen a ton of margin expansion and it's been super impressive. Do you think that is sustainable and has a path to continue over the next, say, three to five years? Yeah, that's a great question. So Tesla doesn't need much introduction. Though, one of the things that happens when we talk about Tesla is we go back to always thinking about, oh, the auto, because that's the largely what uh, the current revenues are from any margin expansion there. The margin expansion there has entirely come from scale, from careful cost management, from building out these factories that become better and better and better over time, right? Can the margin expand further? Uh, maybe a little bit, right? I mean, there's only so much margin that you can get, right? But if you can hold the margin, case in point being Apple, if you can hold the margin there, that's good enough given that the market itself is so large, right? So I'm not so worried about margin being expand, expand. Tesla remains one of the best, uh, I guess, CapEx management companies. You know, aside from Apple, there are very few companies which are so clever in terms of how they deploy the cash. Every other company seems to be wasting the amount of cash they deploy. So that's one point. I think the other thing we forget is all the other things that they're doing, right? All the high margin stuff that's happening that hasn't yet layered in, right? Whether that is FSD, whether this Tesla Energy, they just lost it, uh, launched in Texas with their virtual power plant plan, for example. All of the insurance, all of this, all of those, all of those things are not yet layered in. So, I'm, yeah. So I think I look at Tesla and I say, well, you know, the market is large. They don't need to own the whole market. They will never own the whole market. But the market itself is humongous. Um, margins probably remain steady, incrementally increase uh, as the software and other higher margin revenues become a larger piece of the pie. All right. I have one follow up here, and then maybe I'll open it up if anyone else has any others. I think people look at the, you know, the impressive growth and they're excited. But currently today, you know, you look at uh, the, the leader of Tesla, Elon Musk, and the Twitter deal. There's, I mean, that's the, the biggest news story, at least for the finance world for the last few months. Um, do you think the concerns people around 
the deal, the concerns people have around the deal or are notable or just noise that investors should ignore or maybe somewhere in the middle? Yeah, so it's like, in my opinion, it's neither here nor nor there. So I think one of the most dangerous things I've seen on Twitter, and this is a, this is both an opportunity and and at the same time, it speaks very poorly of the entire finance industry or of people who think they're investors, right? It is dangerous to basically say that one factor, right, moves the share price, <laughs> you know, and it's responsible for the entire. So that basically means that, you know, Tesla's got, what, 20,000 employees. It's just one person's tweeting that decides the share price. Oh, it is down today because some journalists got banned. If if that happens, the market is stupid <laughs> and it's dumb, <laughs> right? And you should take advantage of that. We don't know why the stock moves. For example, the other, you know, for the last past week, the, the stock price probably was down because those volume trades being put through by Elon Musk, who was basically selling the stock. Is Now, I think it's that is aside from what is happening with, you know, was uh, Twitter a good deal or not? We don't know the answer for that. Would I personally have liked him to buy Twitter? No. Uh, would I personally have, have him invest time on Twitter, potentially divisive platform as we're saying? No. But... You know, that's what it is. Like, I mean, you know, and I think people say, well, you know, things are worse. We need a COO. We need him to step down. You know, he has done worse things. He has said uh, 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 funding secured in the past. He has smoked joint. <laughs> Apparently, he has called somebody a pedophile. Potentially, again, I don't want Elon Musk to come and sue me, but maybe he said somebody was a pedo. Worse things have happened, Right. Just, I think right now it's very divisive because there's this, you know, what is free speech, what is not, and it's, you know, most people don't care. I don't care. Like, I mean, you know, like this is, it's like, you know, you say what you want to, don't hurt people. There are all these people who would say, you know, this is left, that's right. I don't know. I don't want to get there. But most, and the other thing I think is important to realize is Twitter is not the world. It's got like 200 million people. It does not you know, make decisions of what happens in the world. Ultimately, when people have to spend their money, they make the best decisions for themselves based on what they see, what they understand. Twitter is a sideshow in, in that aspect. That's my view. I could be wrong. But I think it's very dangerous to say that the price is moving because of a thing. I see that a lot. People are saying, you know, I want to be on the BOD because, you know, we need voice for retail investors. Why? So that the board's job, board's job is not to manage the share price. <laughs> CEO's job is not to manage the share price. If any CEO is doing that, they should just be fired immediately. It's not their job to manage the share price. It's their job to have a vision and to execute on that vision. I see no problem with that. I mean, they have a vision and they'll execute it. They continue executing. I see no problems with the execution. That's my point. All right. Any follow-ups for anyone before we move on to the next question? All right. I'm seeing none. Let's move on to Amazon. Uh, Matt, I think you know there's going to be two questions here because I think you can divide the business up into two sections, e-commerce and advertising, and then AWS. Let's talk about e-commerce and advertising first. How do you look at the e-commerce subscription advertising business today? Because I know a lot of investors out there right now, and this could be why the stock is down again. We just had a discussion that there's always multiple factors of why a stock is down. Um, they see it's unprofitable. So how do you look at that business today? Because I know that people are worried about margins and stuff like that. Uh, I, I think it's an incredible business. So I think Amazon's e-commerce business uh, benefits from several modes. And that starts with a network effect, stemming from like the vast number of customers that shop and merchants that sell on its site. You know, 57% of its sales now come from third-party sellers. 
And the more buyers and sellers just continually attract more buyers and sellers. Um, you know, enjoys cost advantages, which, okay, it now enjoys cost advantages uh, because it's built out this incredible logistics and fulfillment network, which is, which admittedly, like it, it costs a, a ton of money, but I, I, from just a very high level, like I just don't see how building a fulfillment center in Miami or, you know, a new like delivery station in, in North Carolina or wh- wherever, like how, you know, they saw, obviously everybody saw a demand spike after COVID. Um, they thought that would be like a little more permanent than it was. And they kind of built out to meet this demand. Um, I, like I, I personally give management a pass on that, but m- more importantly, to the future of its business. Like, I just feel like that money is not going to, you know, that, that that's not like wasted money. That's not like like gone forever. I, I believe e-commerce is going to continue to grow and they're going to grow into the, like their, their logistics and fulfillment centers that they built out. You know, um, the early 2000s, it took like Amazon an average of 18 hours to get an item from when it was purchased through its fulfillment centers on the right truck for shipment. That now is under two hours. Um, you know, and they just continue to get faster. Like now, you know, most of the time I get things like either, either the same day I order it or the next day. And, uh, you know, Shopify is frantically building out. They, they want to get everything on two day delivery. And while that sounds amazing to me, I think that's probably going to be good enough for a lot of their products. Like at the same time, I, I do wonder about younger consumers. Like, uh, you know, I've told the story before, but my son like ordered like some, like, like um, headphones or something for, for that he uses for gaming. And he ordered, like we ordered, he he asked me about it like over breakfast or something as we're getting, he's getting ready for school and I'm getting ready for work. I'm like, sure. You know, I ordered it on the app and he came over from school that day and he was like, well, where is it? How, you know, how come it's not here yet? You know? And he just, they, I think like young consumers, they just expect things like right away. Like he was surprised it wasn't there yet, you know? And uh, so I just think who, you know, when you look at the square feet, Amazon has dedicated to, logistics and fulfillment, like, uh, uh, you know, I just don't see how anyone catches them in, in North America anyway, and, and that, which is, you know, the most profitable market on, on earth. So I, I just think it's an, it's an incredible business. And uh, like, I think they're going to grow into like everything they built out. And uh, I think that's just like, I, I just have a hard time understanding how people catch them. And, and so given that, like, I think they have a lot of pricing power with prime subscriptions, uh, like their advertising business, like with all these third-party sellers and with their logistics fulfillment center will attract more third-party sellers, I believe. And, and that's just going to create more demand for their advertising. I mean, you know, like when, you know, you go to their website and you search for a product and th- those first few results, uh, you know, uh, some of the most valuable digital real estate in the world. So I, I just, I, I think it's an incredible business. And, uh, y- you know, uh, I, I think there's something to be said, uh, like my colleague Nirbhan has pointed out, like uh, you know, if it's you know, if it's not if it's not running as a, if it's not consistently positive free cash flow now, like you know, when will it get there? I, I think that those are all legitimate questions. But I, I think like COVID, I, I I just give them a pass for building out like uh, their their logistics and fulfillment to, for that COVID demand that they thought would be a little more uh, permanent than it was. Yeah, and if we had a full podcast to talk Amazon, I would want to discuss the Alexa losses, uh, which are in the 10 plus billion dollars a year. That could be something impacting there as well. But let's hit the most important part of Amazon, and that is AWS, Amazon Web Services. I know there's so many areas you can go into with AWS, but just for how you're looking at it today, how is the leading cloud computing provider doing right now? You know, it might be an even more incredible business than its retail business, right? Uh, 
You know, the, the cloud service benefits from high switching costs. It's very complicated for companies to build their entire organization in AWS and then migrate that to another uh, cloud provider, whether that's Azure or Google or Oracle. Uh, it benefits from network effects because so many enterprises use AWS for their cloud computing needs. The platform has attracted numerous software developers to build apps and programs specifically for the AWS platform. It enjoys uh, cost advantages. Uh, the, like, you know, just very few companies can match Amazon's investments in, in server infrastructure, facility development, uh, semiconductor design, you know, all these things just give it an incredible advantage. I think they're, you know, if you look through their last conference call, there's a lot of short-term headwinds. It was the exact same thing with Azure. They're, they're both saying the same thing. Customers are, uh, you know, enterprises are worried about like, you know, the economy weakening and softening coming up and both Azure and AWS, you know, have like kind of proactively help their customers like uh like you know use their services for for less money now and, and you know you saw that like aws's growth rate trick ticked down a little bit you know it only grew uh, only uh grew like 27 percent year over year uh but uh like i think that just strengthens their long-term moat and it's going to keep those customers on for even longer so uh, i just think uh you know aws is just another incredible business like so right. i mean oh. going back like you said divided into two businesses and they're just both in my mind they're just both incredible world-class businesses all right that's a great overview any follow-ups from anyone uh on the call uh all right let's move to the last company this is some a, a business i wish i understood more because it seems like it has just the best brand in the industry dana we're talking to illumina can you introduce the audience to what Illumina does, because I think it impacts their day-to-day -day lives more and more uh, as we as we move this into this decade. Absolutely, and and that's really Illumina's mission is to unleash the power of the genome in order to you know, help human health. Um, and so, you know, what I say, you know, the, the genome. What is that? I'm, I'm assuming that we all kind of know, you know, about DNA and you know all the information, our genetic information that's stored in our cells. Well. Illumina has has enabled um, the scientific community, the the clinical community, to really understand um, what's going on um, in the genome by um, enabling next generation sequencing. And I'm not going to go into Sanger sequencing and how that differentiates from next generation sequencing. I could that could be you know like a much longer conversation. We won't go there, um, but. So it enables faster and more accurate reads um, of the, the genome and um, allowing um, uh, various types of, of um, clinicians. Um, so, you know, a lot of hospitals are using next generation sequencing, but they have the Illumina machines um, on site um, to, you know, if they have a, a patient, a lot of times they're going to be young um, patients. So there are a lot of um, pediatric um, cases where, you know, they have a, you know, a, a baby that's just not thriving and they don't know what's going on, right? There have been no tests um, that, you know, no indication, you know, they're seeing a lot of similarity in the symptoms to different diseases, but they can't pinpoint it. Um, and the baby's just not thriving. They can now do um, whole exome or whole genome sequencing quickly, like, you know, in hours. Um, and there have been examples where um, physicians have, have done this in order to identify what 
variation in a particular gene is happening in this particular infant and figure out, you know, and, and identify a solution. Um, and and that, that's just one example. Um, you know, we, we you know, cancer is, is another big topic. A lot of, you know, people understand what cancer is, you know, something that you hope that you don't get. Um, and, and, you know, but we also know that if you um, get a diagnosis early, um, then you have a better outcome, right? That's, you know, has been standard, you know, discussion of cancer, you know, get tested, you know, what, what identify things early. And, you know, testing, you know, years ago, 20 plus years ago was, you know, like, you know, breast exams or, you know, things, things like that, you know, and, and those are identifying tumors, right? You know, you can feel things, right? Um, but by the time you actually have a mass of cells that, you know, you can feel, um, that you can distinguish, the cancer is advanced. Um, and so now there are a, you know, a, a number of companies that are doing, um, you know, liquid biopsy, really early testing, um, you know, being able to get a, you know, small sample of blood um, just because, you um, uh, tumor cells, um, they they shed, right? You know, they'll they'll kind of move around, and you can pick up the DNA from a tumor cell. You can differentiate it from um, a, 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 your basic um, cell. You know, so a tumor cell is going to be different from a, a, a your basic cell, um, and then you can kind of identify very early um, what's happening. And so, you know, there are lots of different companies now that, you know, will do specific types of tests to look for, you know, really early detection of cancers or other types of diseases. And I can name, you know, like a, you know, a handful, a dozen um, companies that are, are doing these types of tests um, using Illumina instruments. So, you know, um, uh, Illumina really, um, enables um, people to to unleash the genome, you know, like what is all that hidden information and, you know, really helping um, doctors and, and patients now understand um, what's going on. Is there any reason this tailwind of genome sequencing or the need for Illumina's products is going to stop? Because it seems like it's just going to be, and I don't want to say never ending, but there, there's just a long, long runway of growth of the need for the all these products as this industry which may only be a couple really a couple decades old just comes into full commercialization so so in in my opinion it's just getting started right it's it's just becoming accessible you know we um what 20 years plus now you know the the we identified you know they publish you know the human genome sequence has been identified we've 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 sequenced the human genome and now we can, you know, really utilize that information that costs billions of dollars to do that, right? And, you know, even now, today, 20 plus years later, we're still learning, you know, about genes, how, how to utilize this information. And Illumina has been really instrumental, no pun intended, um, in making, um, it cost efficient in order to be able, you know, to make this accessible to more and more people, to make these tests cheaper. Um, and, and it just uh, released, it had um, this big genome forum 
um, just a couple of months ago, and it released its new chemistry, um, which is designed to be faster, more robust, and, and more efficient. It's also enables sustainability, so you don't have, you know, to ship things on dry ice, you know, so packaging is, is smaller, and that, you know, works with its new instruments. So, you know, and all with the point of getting the cost down. Right. So if you get the cost down now, you it's really easy to, you know, sequence to, to run these tests, to do a whole genome or an exome. And I can explain that difference if you need me to. Um, and, you know, it's it's cheaper to do that. Now it becomes, you know, understanding what the, the information from the genome means. Right. And so that was the, you know, once we got the cost of sequencing down, the cost of analysis rose. But now we're, we're starting to find balance because as we have more and more genomic data, right, you know, the more people that can do it, now we have more data and then we have more, you know, computation to understand what's going on. So, you know, the is it, is just moving things forward. So I, 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 you know, it's been doing great, um, you know, these, these last decade. And I think that, you know, we're just, you know, opening up a new chapter in, in Illumina's um, opportunity. How hard would it be for a competitor to displace Illumina? Um, so that, that's an interesting question. Um, I think it'd be very, very hard. Right. And, and, you know, the, the reason why I say that is that you have your lab protocols, you know, so even if you were to bring in, you know, this new Illumina instrument that, um, you know, that is using this new chemistry that, you know, is going to have new consumables, but you, you bring this in, you still in your lab, you have a protocol, right? If you were to bring in a different, um, instrument, you know, a different company's instrument, it would be different protocols, right? The, the, the steps that you need to take in order to prepare a sample, to do the reads, to do the analysis are going to be slightly different. The other thing is, so, you know, a, a, a lot of the competing chemistries, um, you know, so there's company PacBio and they've been known more for long reads. Um, and so when you're reading the the sequence, um, you know, so the, a, a gene is is uh, really long, I'm like spreading my arms, really long, um, you know, like uh, thousands of, of bases, right? And, you know, but you can't read, you know, one by one by one. So the way they do it is they, you know, break it up into little pieces and then they read each piece and then put it, you know, place it back all together. Right. And so that works. And so Illumina has typically been more short reads and PacBio has been more long reads. And, you know, the benefit of long reads is that there are parts of the genome that are hard to read because the sequence isn't necessarily conducive for easily piecing things together. So imagine that you have, you're doing a jigsaw puzzle, right? And you have an area of your jigsaw puzzle where everything is white. Right. And so you can't really see there's there's nothing really to distinguish what piece goes together. So in the genome, you might have those pieces that are hard to put back together. So if you have longer reads, then you get through those little tricky areas. Well, Illumina just introduced its new um, technology. I, I forget what it calls it. It used to call it infinity, but it's for for longer reads. So 
you know, basically eliminates like all the problems that you know, have have come across um, through next generation sequencing. It is innovating and and addressing as well. So, I I it's 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 going to be hard. And then you know, so the the last bit is that um, you know there. Are, um, so the, up until just this recent release, um, this launch of a new um, sequencing machine that actually has um, uh, F an FDA mark and a CE mark um, for diagnostics, um, most of the Illumina instruments were for research use only, right? And so how do you get around doing a clinical diagnosis using a research, research use only machine? Well, your lab becomes CLIA certified. Right. And so CLIA is the clinical laboratory. I forget what the A Act is. Um, and so basically, um, as a lab, you have all these protocols and you get certified by um, a regulatory agent, agency, C, uh, CMS, um, and they come in and they certify your lab. And so now you're able to use these CLIA certified tests using, you know, predict, you know, whatever instrument it is that you're doing. So if you're a CLIA lab and your protocols are using Illumina instruments, it's you're not going to, you know, bring in a new instrument because you're already CLIA certified for running those diagnostics. All right. Fantastic overview. That sounds like quite the competitive advantage. Uh, but I'll let anyone more interested in Lumina definitely check out all the work that Dana has done over at Seven Investing because it is a complicated business, but one that, at least from my outsider point of view, has tremendous potential. We're going to wrap things up, though, not take too much time from everyone here. Simon. Um, I think maybe just to put you on a spot here, what, what you know, you guys are doing the year in review. What, what should any potential subscriber or anyone that's interested in seven investing be looking forward to in 2023? It's just, there's so many neat things going on out there, right? Right. Like you, hopefully on the show here today, you got to see some of the passion that our team has for stuff that's going on in financial services in energy and power production, you know, with Tesla and electric vehicles, you know, with what's going on with, with healthcare and what Amazon's doing in cloud computing. Steve's going to have another example too on top of that. But I think that what we're excited about in 2023, as well as every year, is just kind of being at the forefront of what's changing in the markets out there, what's innovative, and then how do we, how do we take opportunities for that as investors? You know, that, that's something that, you know, we're doing a, a lot of research, not only putting it into the reports and putting the passion into that, but we're a pretty fun team too. You know, and with seven investing, you're basically hiring all seven of us. Uh, you mentioned money at the beginning of the show as the, as the code. Um, you're not only hiring all of us, uh, $100 off our annual subscription means $300 a year. So you're hiring all of us for $25 a month to kind of keep at the forefront of innovation and get keep you up to date on what's going on. But on top of that, you mentioned the year in review. I mean, there's basically a zero risk trial right now that you get in for a week for a dollar and you can see our updates on all of our companies. And in fact, if you use that money code, you get in for zero dollars. So there's really not even a dollar on the table risk. Uh, we're just really excited about what we're doing. And we think that the stock market's the greatest compounding of wealth machine that's available to the general public that's out there. And we're really happy with what we're doing and having a good time. All right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. Uh, let me give out the disclosure. Remember at Chit Chat Money, we're not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital and clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Again, thank you to the seven investing team for taking the time to be on this call today. We'll see you next time. 